Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The Bigger Picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to The Bigger Picture. And today we are diving into China, where things are going for the economy and some of the more pressing issues like a potential balance sheet recession. To help us unpack all the issues around China, we've got Gary Ng. He is a senior economist for thematic research for Asia-Pacific for Netesis. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hi, hi. Gary, you're watching China very closely. So let's get your overview first. Uh, Of course, we've seen some numbers, pretty sluggish. How would you describe where the Chinese economy is right now? Well, I think if we look at uh, how the Chinese economy is performing right now, it is really going into like a K-shape because I think what we see so far is that there is indeed some pressure on the manufacturing and the real estate side, which is quite obvious because of the regulatory changes. At the same time, we also see a decent cyclical rebound in some of the other services and also consumption-oriented sectors. So therefore, I think um, this divergence will actually continue to persist in the short run. But however, I think the biggest concern here is that um, we do start to see that the confidence of household and corporate are not really that strong, which basically means that the ongoing rebound in investment or consumption may not be as big as many people may have expected. And also we start to see there are more pressure from Mm. the weakening global demand or export, etc. So therefore, I think it's quite likely that in the second half of the year, the Chinese economic growth will likely slow down to uh, basically, uh, well, uh, uh, like a slower pace. And around, you know, 4 to 5% is actually quite sensible, but this will still fall in line with the around 5% target that the Chinese government has set earlier this year. Yeah, Gary, I like how you've outlined your report, there are five key themes to look out for. Among them, hesitant stimulus, confidence, regulations, and then on external front, inflation and geopolitics. And I think we'll just start with confidence. What are you seeing on that front? Are you seeing people willing to spend? Are they actually more inclined to save these days? Well, indeed, I think if you look at many surveys, especially even from the official run by the uh, uh, People's Bank of China, we actually see that still 60% of the household want to increase their savings versus uh, around 40% before the uh, pandemic. So I think this shows a very clear picture that this weak confidence actually has impact on household in terms of whether they want to consume, whether they want to buy big-ticket items such Mm. as the electric vehicles, and actually whether they want to buy a home. So I think this is really one of the biggest uh, challenges that uh, China is facing right now as the aftermath of the uh, regulatory changes and also about this zero-COVID policy that has lingered for at least the, the, the last uh, uh, three years. And the same is actually true from the corporate perspective because if there is uh, ongoing uncertainty in terms of uh, the, the policies, then uh, it's very hard especially for private firms to actually invest further. And this is why we also see that there's a very big deceleration in terms of, you know, where the private firms are actually investing further, both in CapEx and also the R&D expenses. There's definitely an interlink going on between the consumer and the business. Now, you mentioned a bit of a confidence issue. Some people would describe it as a confidence trap. How bad is it right now? How much of a push from the government do you need to get out of this trap? What sort of stimulus perhaps do we need or how urgent is it? Well, indeed, I think uh, one of the biggest problems, again, is really uh, even though we start to see this uh, stronger monetary uh, policy stimulus, which essentially means that more liquidity, uh, more rate cut, etc., we haven't seen that 
corporates or households are actually incentivized to invest or consume more. Mm. And this makes us think of a similar trend that Japan may have uh, in the uh, 1990s, which is called a balance sheet recession. So, of course, China is not there yet, but there are some early signs of this ineffectiveness of uh, whether uh, like a household or corporate will respond to that. And under this scenario, of course, I think a natural response is that we need to see a stronger fiscal uh, stimulus. However, at the same time, there's also a bit of contradiction in a way that the Chinese government wants to focus a bit more on government debt, which makes them hesitant in terms of whether they want to grow as many or uh, like a fiscal stimulus as in um, the past. So I think more likely we will start to see some uh, more targeted uh, approach in terms of uh, supporting some regulatory and neutral sector, such as automobile, or maybe there will be some encouragement as announced, I think, a few days ago in uh, encouraging spending. But whether this is effective or not, I think it still depends on whether this uncertainty in polar risk can be mm. eliminated or basically whether China can uh, regain growth because if a rent is rising up in China, if home prices are actually stagnated, that will have an impact on wealth effect. And at the same time, income growth has not really rebounded to the uh, like 2019 level yet. So basically, people don't feel they have as much money to spend at the moment, which means uh, the confidence is weaker. Yeah, Gary, you mentioned a couple of interesting points. One is a potential balance sheet recession, and you compare it to Japan. And one of the issues back in Japan in the early 1990s was a collapse in property prices. You mentioned early signs of it in China. Are you seeing that same effect happening in the property space? Prices are dropping. Well, I think right now we do, we, we do start to see some early signs. And uh, I mean, the signs are definitely a bit more severe from the developer's point of view, because I think we have all heard of this uh, bond default or this, uh, like the developers cannot repay certain things. They need to, you know, uh, uh, find different ways to continue the project. I think this is true. But I think what is different uh, in the case of Chinese also, because the home prices has really uh, collapsed in the way that Japan did back in those days. Because if you look at the June figure, it's a decline by 0.6% year over year, Mm. but still it is still uh, quite a minor uh, decline compared to many um, other places. So for me right now, it seems to me still a confidence um, problem. Uh, I mean, uh, China start to see some pressure in um, like this sector if this continues and spill over to other space. But right now, there are still uh, plenty of things that the government can actually do to actually prevent this situation becoming more severe. And especially one of the major differences that uh, first, um, the balance sheet uh, in Chinese households are not really damaged as the way is as Japan because of the home prices. Second, I think the political stability situation in China also matters because if you look back to what has happened in Japan those days, you'll probably have a new prime minister every one or two years. But in China, we all know that the, 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 like the ability to move mobilize the state resources will be much stronger. Mm. And just wrap things up, investors are scratching their heads what to do with China because the story is not playing out. They imagine it might be going this year with the reopening story. So when we look at the winners and losers, what will be the more attractive sectors to look at these days? Well, I think um, indeed, even though we are seeing that the cyclical rebound is weaker than uh, expected, um, but still there are some sectors that will benefit from that. For example, I think airlines are, is a very um, obvious one because um, even though uh, China has mainly uh, resumed all its domestic flights, but it's still le- largely lagging the international uh, connection as well. And I mean, those uh, 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 routes actually form a very huge part for, um, I mean, a lot of these uh, Chinese airlines. And at the same time, I think I would also focus on sectors that 
China really has the uh, competitive advantage, such as electric vehicles and all the way to actually the upstream supply chain, which I actually like it even more because of this um, like a high market share that China may have in the battery and also the materials. And usually this sector will also uh, be subjected to less like geopolitical and also the policy risk in China because, I mean, if we look at some of these sectors such as real estate, such as semiconductor, I think they are really the one that maybe there will be uh, some rebound if there is some change in policies, but it's also uh, subjected to a certain uh, high level of risk as well. And beyond airlines, beyond electric vehicles, I think one of the other spotlight is really about renewables because if you think of this uh, general increasing global demand in the green transition and the market share that China has in some of the uh, components such as solar cells and wind turbines, I think that will also be a key area to growth, even though we continue to see that maybe from the US, there will be some stronger uh, policy on gearing domestic production, but that should not affect the overall uh, demand for Chinese goods uh, globally. Alright, that's a great overview. We've been speaking with Gary Ng, he's the Senior Economist for Thematic Research for Asia Pacific at Netesis. Gary, thank you for your time today. Thanks very much. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.